0: Hi, Damien DeMarcus from 100 Not Out here. MP? Yes, Damo. We all know the importance of having a diary, but who wants a boring old day planner? Not me. Enter The Journey of Me. Ta-da! The incredible eight-month wellness journal designed especially for wellness peeps like you. Yes, Damo. this beautiful eight-month wellness guide is filled with questions, planners, exercises, reflective notes, and more. Endorsed by the Up For A Chat girls and love the world over, The Journey of Me is a must-have if you're ready to live your best life for life. To purchase your very own journey of me and receive a free set of inspirational postcards, simply enter the code COUCH at www.wellandnew.com. That's www.w-e-l-l-i-n-e-u-x.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives.
1: Welcome to the Wellness Guys show with wellness experts, Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Christophe and Dr. Brett Hill.
0: Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I'm Damien Christoph, And I'm Brett Hill. This is a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into your lives. And today it's Brett and Damo. That's it. Yep. Lawrence overseas again. We do have a special guest though, brett eh? Do we? Yeah. It's the Adelaide caveman. Ugh, <laughs> <Damo. laughs> ugh! You know, for all those people who have lived through the, po- the podcast, the Wellness Guys, for all four, nearly five years of us doing this and speaking, having fun, sharing great knowledge, you may or may not have worked out that Brett is in fact the Adelaide caveman, one of the two <laughs> of the Adelaide cavemen. We interviewed one of them early on, didn't we, Damo? We interviewed one of them. His name was Ugg. Funnily enough, his name was Ugg, the same as your name being Ugg. Oh, maybe my name was Nug. Then I'll get mixed up. <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't we haven't dressed up in our uh, costumes for a little while. Oh, you haven't. You need it. It's got to happen at the, the test this year, the Adelaide test. It's crucial. The Adelaide caveman. Look out for the Adelaide caveman, everybody. Hey, um Bretto, there's been a lot of discussion lately, um, particularly yeah. around fermentating, and obviously we had uh, Kyle Brock join us at uh, the Wellness Summit. The uh, yeah. the the founder of the Kyle Brock Show. The one and only yeah. Carbrock, and uh, he's probably out surfing right now while we record this, and um, dodging sharks. There was a shark attack in New South Wales today. Was, was it? Full... Yeah, someone died. Got to watch them. Yeah, got to watch out for those guys. We're in their ocean, and uh, but what's interesting about that is that this fermenting thing's gone massive. Um, kombucha's big, sauerkrauts big, kimchi's been around for you know ever and ever and ever. Yeah. Um, you know, now there's a little bit of discussion around fermented fish oil, fermented cod liver oil. Blurgh. Sounds disgusting. I want to vomit when I hear that. <laughs> can you imagine like eating something that's fermenting, like that smells as bad as fish oil anyway? So it's just, I don't know how you do that.
1: <laughs> I can I can just imagine Damo because I tell you what, one of my first experiences with fermented foods was attempting to make a fermented kimchi. Oh yeah, and for whatever reason, it didn't end well, didn't end and well. so obviously <laughs> some sort of a contamination happened. Some sort of a something happened. And this kimchi that was fermenting in my house went bad. And I don't know if you've ever spelt kimchi when it goes bad, but when it goes bad, it goes really bad. And the smell, I I wasn't able to attempt to make kimchi for at least six months, maybe nine months after that, just based on that smell. Because it was was so revolting. It just totally put me off. Even being interested in any sort of fermented food, it was unbelievable. So if that was what the kimchi was like, I imagine the uh, the cod
0: liver oil would be lovely. Gross. imagine that. I mean, first of all, it's a liver, like it's actually expressed yeah. oil from a liver of a codfish. Yeah, you know, just think about the word, um, which is a filtering organ to clean out all of the muck from that particular fish. So all the stuff that it ate that it shouldn't have had went through the liver and is now in the liver. Now that the cod's dead, and you're eating that oil it's gross just doesn't even make sense to me but i do like the utilization of cod liver oil but just the fermentation of it i just anyway. <laughs> we'll talk about that though Bretto, because a lot of people are asking questions aren't they Bretto? They
1: are there 's a lot of people asking questions i 've had several people ask me questions and uh, and i 've been referring to my resident expert Damien to get some tips on this so <laughs> I thought it 'd be a great thing for us to talk about on the show so that everyone can tune into these conversations and you know the first thing I thought that i 've been sort of fermentating on around in my head Damien, for the last few months is is well, what about these fermented foods? you know how paleo is fermented foods because fermented foods are really popular in the paleo community there are lots of people doing all different versions of this fermented stuff. And I thought, well, you know, clearly, Ugg, the caveman wasn't, uh, wasn't fermenting a kombucha in his, you know, next to his campfire, you know, clearly he wasn't getting <laughs> no. cabbage or maybe he was, I don't know, but, but I don't think they were, I don't think they were getting cabbage and dousing it in salt and storing it in a container for months at a time. I think maybe they were getting exposed to beneficial bacteria and and some fermented foods, but I don't think they were doing it consciously. I think it might have just happened by accident.
0: What do you reckon damo yeah look i probably, I do tend to agree, and I think that you know there would have been different cultures of bacteria living in the caveman's tummy back then, and certainly probably a much more pure gastrointestinal system than what we all have today, um, you know just based on chlorine in our water system and chlorine in the showers, and um, but even just some of the cleaning liquids. But it, you know the exposure we have to tea tree oil, for example, kills off lots of bacteria. These guys had a different sort of gastrointestinal mycology. They had bacteria that we would probably think is pathogenic. They had that living in their tummy mm. and they were happy with it. So they would have handled some rotting flesh or they would have handled some rotting um, uh, fruit or vegetables very, very well. And, they, you know, in times of shortness where they, they've been a blizzard or where there wasn't um, enough food supply, they would have been able to go and, and just grab, you know, what we would call an apple today, which would have looked very, very different, you know, those hundreds of thousands of years ago. Or even grabbed an avocado and scraped the flesh off the nut because, you know, interestingly with the avocado, there's is it is it something like five times more flesh and avocado now than what there was, you know, only 50 years ago? Like it's, yeah. it's something like that, you know, so they would have picked that off off the ground and worked out what they could still eat and, you know, would have, was it palatable? Would, you know, and they wouldn't have worried about it because they didn't understand germ theory back then. So they wouldn't have really worried about it. It's just did this taste good and does it, or does it taste bad? And then they would have thrown it away. But just the tasting of it would have put bacteria in their body that we would have thought was pathogenic.
1: Yeah, and uh, so I think you're right with the avocado, Damo, because I know, you know, even when you just order an organic avocado, you know, you notice a difference in terms of how much flesh is on there. It's significantly different. And I always look at like, uh, do you know Kwandongs, Damo? Those Kwandongs? They're like these little fruit that actually exists in the South Australian outback, I imagine probably in Victoria too. Yeah. And, uh, and they were sort of an indigenous food and, and you'll often see them in health food stores and stuff now. But, yep. you know, you look at something like that and it's almost all seed. There, there's very little yeah. fruit around that seed. It's only a tiny little bit. Yeah. Uh, but, but that was the sort of stuff that was probably more prevalent back then in, in terms of fruits. So, so they are very different and obviously, they didn't have access to you know, a supermarket like we do now and, and they didn't have the choice to be able to turn up their nose at an apple that had a slight bit of bruising on it you know, like we do now. We, we think if an apple has got a, you know, a tiny little bruise on it, then that's a reject that you should put back and you know, it shouldn't even be sold <laughs> in the shops. Right? <laughs> Whereas if right. they were walking around, they were pretty hungry. They've seen a perfectly good apple with a tiny little bruise on it. I reckon they would have gone, that's good enough for me. I'm going to take In fact, they probably would have picked something with quite a bit of bruising on it, you know, because it wasn't as readily available. Fruit was probably quite rare back then, definitely rare compared to what it is now. Sure, Um, you know, it wasn't available all year round. It wasn't uh, available in the quantities that we have available to us now. So, so I think it would have been largely through those sort of fruits and vegetables that had, you know, rotten a little bit, had fermented a little bit, um, that you would have seen exposure to all those beneficial bacteria. So, I think what we're saying, Damo, is that. Yes, paleo people did get exposed to some beneficial bacteria but also they didn't kill their beneficial bacteria as much as we do in our modern lives yeah. and, and that's why you know, there's this real focus on it now is because not only do we have to provide the, the gut bacteria
0: that we should innately have within
1: our bodies but we also have to replace the stuff that we're killing off.
0: Well, yeah, absolutely. But you know that, it's an amazing word, that innate word because um, what we innately have now and what we would innately get from a mum having been breastfed and if we were fortunate enough to be vaginally born, that if we had that full, you know, great start to our life, that innate coating or that immediate coating that we got with the ability to then grow a a microbiome in our body is vastly different to the microbiome that would have been passed on to our mum or passed on to her mum or passed on to our grandmother's mum, you know, and it continues to get weaker and weaker and weaker. That microbiome is changing at a rate of knots. And so, it, it, it's such a different microbiome now to what it was 100,000 years ago. And, uh, and it continues to evolve. That's part of our evolution is the microbiome is changing and shifting so significantly. It's out, it's out of control and fast, very, very rapidly. I
1: was about to say that that changes much faster than our. Genome, doesn't it, because they're yes. replicating and turning over so much you know obviously a you know a generation for a
0: bacteria is much shorter Couple than a days. generation for a human being, right that's it that's right. And so where we say that we haven't evolved for you know, two hundred thousand years or a hundred thousand years or fifty thousand years it depends on which uh, website you are at you read which Google search you pull up um, that you know absence of evolution implies that we haven't changed a whole lot but you know when you consider that 70 trillion bacteria live inside our body or on our body that, that outnumbers the number of cells that we have in our body that are our own body by I think it's a factor of ten to one so uh, and some authors would say it's 100 to 1. But in terms of the amount of DNA that that actually expresses, there's so much more genetic control over our body from the bacteria than our own genes um, in terms of their behavior themselves. So, you know, really it depends on how you see us, Bredo. Do, do, do we look at ourselves as vessels that carry bacteria around and we're expressing that life or are we a life that's actually experiencing a life and we're just dragging some bacteria along with us. Um, It it probably, what we're looking at now from a a disease perspective is that these these bacteria have such a profound um, overall effect on our body that they could be responsible, solely responsible for many of the autoimmune diseases. They could be solely responsible for heart disease and different types of cancers. The types of bacteria that we have in our body are probably pro, programming our body more than the food that we eat?
1: Well, I always like to think of it that we are an ecosystem. I think we are an ecosystem no, that happens like that. to have some human cells in it. It happens to have some bacterial cells. in it. it happens to have some other stuff in it within that ecosystem. And so much like planet Earth is an ecosystem that needs to have a balance of all those different plants and animals and bacteria and all those sort of things, then, then I think of the body as an ecosystem. We aren't one individual. I think we've realized that now. We are, we are many. And, and it's an ecosystem that needs to be in balance and in harmony. It's, that's like the movie Avatar
0: which I love there that you movie, go Avatar. It was a great movie wasn't you it that, the Avatar movie the theme was that interconnectedness of all things you know yeah. what we do to one person is, affects the other person I love that and that theme didn't really come through everyone was talking about the special effects <laughs> and the blue people how hot was yeah. that blue girl they're saying and I'm going that's but it's, the message was, is incredible but how, good, back is it? Me to how good is it
1: Damo that yeah. we can be here without Lawrence and we can just talk about movies
0: oh. <laughs> 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 well he talks about movies all the time I've just done Nitro with him over the weekend and far out he knows movies he just knows movies <laughs> he didn't even know those like quotes at 33 minutes, 45 seconds into the movie when Robert De Niro says this <laughs> he, to Al Pacino. You go,
1: Are you right? Hey, but so nice. Dame, I've got a question for you. Yeah. So let's talk about fermented foods versus probiotic supplements and prebiotic supplements. So yeah. right. the, the question I've got, I guess, is how much do we really know about what our genomes should be? Because as you said, it's changed so much over the years and over the generations a, how do we know what it's supposed to be? Because if we're just looking at what is common or what people have, then then maybe we're not, you know, we're missing stuff that used to be there that we've never even seen. And and so then, how do we figure out what we need to put in to replace it? And how do we know then whether it's better to do that with a fermented food or better to do it with a supplement?
0: Oh my gosh! That's a big question. That's such an amazing question. That's great. And I'll tell you, Brad, I think that's probably the best question you've ever asked on the wellness guys. <sighs> ever. That. And the yes. reason why that is the number one question, because that is the number one question that's plaguing medical science at the moment about fecal transplanting. They don't know what bacteria should exist in a healthy body because they can't determine what a healthy microbiome actually is. So they, it's not even a baby's microbiome is the healthiest because a lot of it's not established. And then what that mum passed on to the baby may not have been the healthiest microbiome. So we really yeah. don't know what we should have in our body. And there's so many different bacterial species that are still being discovered. So, I was chatting with a gastroenterologist the other day. You know that I'm, I've been trying to put together a, a thing called the Gut Summit. Yeah, and I've been working really hard on that, and I'm calling it the Microbiome Project. And so I've got, I've got this like I've got people like Alessio Fasano. I've got pediatric um, gastroenterologists. I've got gastroenterologists doing fecal transplanting. I've got a paleo cardiologist joining us. I've got all kinds of different people talking about gastrointestinal function and as it applies to disease throughout the whole body. Yeah, And the one thing that all of us understand about this whole thing is that we don't yet fully understand what bacteria are supposed to be in the body. And so... When you hear about your cult with the Shirota strain and you, think, you hear about Inner Health Plus and you think about the three lactobacillus strains that are in that and then you think about ultra-bifidus and you think about some fermented foods that contain LGG because it's naturally occurring LGG on, on sauerkraut and then you look at kombucha, which has got, you know, um, like a SCOBY that, that runs through it, which is a, a combination of all the bacteria that's in the environment at that point in time that SCOBY is growing in. So if that SCOBY originated in, you know, um, crazy cat lady's house, and then finds <laughs> his way to your house, you've got the bacteria from that lady's scoby now in your house from crazy cat lady. And so there's, you know, there's all these different things to consider um, in terms of the types of bacteria that are coming through. But each of these bacteria that are in a supplement have some kind of function either um, within the body so they, they may affect mast cell degranulation, for example, or they may affect um, digestion or hay fever or heart disease or or um, irritable bowel syndrome. So those those probiotics are being studied. But there's so many more that are being studied that we're still starting to understand what what their function is, that there's a role to play but they will also be found in small amounts on our fermented food. So you've got the like a medical therapeutic dose that's in a supplement versus a daily dietary dose that would come through from your fermented food.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I think what we're starting to realize as well is that we kind of had this idea originally, and it was a bit like, I guess it was a bit like kind of the cholesterol thing where originally we were like, oh, there's good cholesterol and there's bad cholesterol, and you want lots of good cholesterol and no bad cholesterol. Or or it was like the omega fatty acids, you know, it's like, well, you want to have lots of this one because this one's good and none of that one because that one's bad. And eventually what we realized is that, well, that's all good. It's just that you need to have certain amounts of each one, right? Like you, you need to have a balance within your body. And I think that's what we're starting to realize from my understanding with these bacteria as well, is that you need to have a balance. You need to have an ecosystem there and that, that, that they're all good. It's just that there's appropriate ratios to have those in. Is, is that what we're sort of coming to, Damo?
0: Yeah, and the ratios we don't know. But you're spot on, mate. Like You know how there's been people, and I know people that will be listening to this podcast right now that have been on a mission for one or two years trying to kill a parasite. Um, yeah. And in the mission to kill that parasite, they've created greater dysbiosis and food sensitivities and allergies and symptoms than what they would have ever had before, primarily because they've been on this mission to kill something as opposed to love something to death. And so the approach now appears that we've got to try and get the microbiome into such a happy state that the angry, pathogenic, yeasty, parasitic, you know, microbiotic, you know, bacteria that aren't supposed to be there in large numbers are kept at bay without going wild, going mental, by just making sure there's enough good stuff in there. So it's, I like to use that whole phrase, you know, love them to death, um, as opposed to go to war with them. You know, that, that whole medical model where, you, which is very reductionist is that bacteria causes that symptom, so that's a bad thing, um, and so we should kill that bacteria. That reductionist approach doesn't work with the microbiome, which is in symbiosis.
1: So when you talk about it like that, Damo, it makes me start to think that... Perhaps what is more important than what bacteria we've got, than than whether we're killing the bad ones or whether we're putting the good ones in, what's going to be even more important than that is what sort of environment that we're creating there for those bacteria to live in. Because it seems to me that, just like I guess in in nature, if if you have the right environment there, you know, if you have a pristine forest and ecosystem, you know, the right environment's there, then all the plants tend to just grow in balance and harmony and they all live happily together. Is that what we're now talking about in the gut? Is that what we're talking about with like prebiotics and with, you know, getting our gut health right? Is that we're just creating the right environment that then allows the bacteria to grow in the right ratios.
0: Yeah, that's spot on. That's exactly right. And because there's so much unknown Breto, it's actually very, very difficult for us to say that you need to have this many of this particular strain in your gastrointestinal system, this many of that particular mm. strain in your gastrointestinal system. There are some really well-researched um, bacterial strains um, that, when we do a um, a complete digestive stool analysis, when we when we look at the stool and we count the number of bacteria and we look at the gas levels in the gut and the types of food that's been digested or, or has been left undigested, there's a, there's enough research and a, and a greater enough understanding. To, to know and to be able to say with confidence that a certain amount of the stool should consist of this percentage of lactobacillus or this um, percentage should be lactobacillus um, acidophilus um, casei or uh, this one should be bifidus or whatever, you know? So there's about probably, I don't know, maybe a dozen strains that we know that there should be at least a minimum of the stool containing this much bacteria. And, but, but, there's thousands and thousands of bacteria that we just still don't even know which ones they are yet.
1: So let's talk a bit then, Damien, about what what do we need to do to make sure we're creating the right environment for the right bacteria? Like I know, you know, looking at some of the stuff, some people will say, well, you know, if you go on a really low-carb diet, for example, you may not be providing enough nutrients there for those bacteria to make sure that they're going to be healthy. Um, So, you know, what do we need to make sure that we're providing in our, in our diet, but also in our lifestyle, in our environment, so that we're creating that fertile ground for the good bacteria to grow so that they can balance out that bad bacteria, yeah. quote unquote, because without good or bad, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, let's just call it pathogenic and non-pathogenic because the pathogenic bacteria, they're pathogen meaning opportunistic, um, and they'll take over in an environment rather than being symbiotic. So they're symbiotic when they're kept in check by other yeasts and other bacteria that work well in the gut. So they are good and bad at the same time, right? But the pathogenic Versions of them is, 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 I suppose they're problematic when they when they go for gold and they just run a mark. It's like sixteen year olds at a party versus thirty year olds at a party, just a different experience. If you know what I mean, but so
1: when <laughs> I, was, I wasn't quite sure where that was going, but I was just rolling with it.
0: <laughs> well, um, to, like, like to to answer that question, I'm going to need you to ask me the question again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the
1: question was, yeah. what do we need to do to create the right environment oh, yes, to get the okay. right balance of bacteria? We need,
0: we need carbohydrate fuels um, to go into our body, and that needs to be, you know, essentially plant-based carbohydrates. So it's going to come from fruit and vegetables, salads, um, and resistant starch is very, very important. So there's certain vegetables that you know provide large amounts of resistant starch. Um, for example, potatoes, um, squash, pumpkins. Um, uh, sweet potato, all of they—they they all pro- and um, uh, what's the there's some Islander um, types of fruit um, vegetables that are like yams and those sorts of things provide yeah. lots of resistant starch as well. Those sorts of foods will allow the bacteria to grow really well in the gut. Um, grain-based versions of that would be things like rice um, or quinoa or amaranth. You know, the body can, you know, the the bacteria are uh, very much uh, responsible for the removal of. Some of the phytates from those particular grains and those foods, and look, all plants contain phytates, so in different varying amounts. And the greater the microbiome in the gut, um, the less amount of phytate actually, um, you know, remains in the food to be absorbed into the bloodstream. So you, you need good bacteria, and the the resistant starch provides a beautiful platform for that to be able to take place. But your number one preference is, of course, vegetables. Fruits and salads, and then off the back of that would be your grainy types of um, of resistant starch. And there's cultures around the world that would ferment those sorts of foods and and turn those foods into beverages. For example, you know, beer is uh, is is the, the result of fermenting hops. For example, uh, example um, sake is the result of fermenting. Um, rice and then if you look at vodka it's the result of fermenting potatoes and so if you, we look and consider that it's those sorts of starchy products that the bacteria can grow and that can then create the fuel within our body to allow other bacteria to continue to grow that's what we're trying to do that's what we need to, to be doing all the time so it's a constant replenishment of good bacteria um with the right sorts of food
1: and I remember reading about that, Daimoy, when I read Born to Run, you know, yep. the Tara Umara, who are in South America there. And, and that's what they do. They had, I think it was corn, and they would ferment that into an alcoholic beverage. And they would drink that yeah. before they went on their like 70 and 100 mile <laughs> runs. And they just, they'd <laughs> go on this really? insane ultra marathon wow. after having a massive night on the Turps drinking this stuff. It was incredible. Oh, that's in incredible. What wow, a side story there for you. Yeah, but obviously, other things it. we need to consider. We need to think about, you know, antibiotics. We need to think about chlorine. We need to think yeah. about stress. We need to think about sleep, yeah. you know, all killed, of these things have an impact, don't they, on, on the health of our gut bacteria.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of disagreement around it. There's heaps of disagreement around it. And a lot of new studies coming out. So you know how we used to say that if you take one lot of antibiotics, you're going to knock off all your bacteria? It's, it's not the case. It seems to be like a cumulative effect of antibiotics over a longer period of time. So the more antibiotics you take, the weaker your microbiome is. Your microbiome is pretty resilient and can replenish itself. Mm. But the repeated exposure to, you know, agents that would disrupt it and cause dysbiosis, like antibiotics or the contraceptive pill or other types of medication, it's it's the long term exposure of that that causes the most amount of damage and havoc um, on the on the microbiome. So. There's new information too, a new research out that actually suggests that if you have to take antibiotics, you should at the same time as the antibiotic take the probiotic because it lessens <laughs> the effect on the microbiome of the antibiotic by taking the probiotic at the same time. So we used to say, don't worry about taking probiotics while you're taking the antibiotic because it will kill them anyway. But the research now says, no, 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 have the probiotic and the antibiotic at the same time. So in other words, you and I might say, have the fermented foods and the probiotics. And the antibiotics at the same time, as opposed to just doing one or the other. Like, given our, our broader understanding of creating a symbiotic relationship or a, um, a, you know, a nice environment for good and you know for non-pathogenic and pathogenic bacteria, we want to just throw in lots of, you know, lots of little bits and pieces of of, of the nice bits that w- would allow the bacteria to grow, particularly when they're being threatened.
1: So am I too cynical just thinking that maybe someone's just gone out and got a patent on an antibiotic that has a probiotic with it that they're <laughs> going to then sell, sell to every one of us?
0: Uh, I think that's cynical. You never know. It's interesting. I was talking to a lady the other day and she's written this great book and I can't wait for this book to come out. It's all about her experience um, in uh, in nephrology and the nephrology system in Australia. And um, it, it's fascinating what she was telling me about. But she was talking to a specialist about having put... Um, they're going to put nanotechnology into the pharmaceutical drugs and that nanotechnology will have the potential to be able to understand whether or not somebody's being compliant and um, and whether or not they're taking their drugs at the right time, whether or not the drug levels are at the right level and they'll be able to siphon this sort of information from people. That's where it's heading with nanotechnology. I found that fascinating. But you know we're starting to use little robots to deliver um, drugs to um, tumours. And so you might not be wrong there, Brett. You might find antibiotics coming out with probiotics in them. But I reckon we'll be less reliant on antibiotics if we had more probiotics in our diet. Oh, that just makes sense, doesn't
1: it? Yeah. All right, so Damo, we're almost out of time, and we've barely even spoken about what we're going to talk about to start with, which was the fermented cod liver oil. <laughs> because, as I said, I got yeah. a request from one of my apprentice members. I said, "What's about this fermented cod liver oil?" And honestly, I said, "What?" <laughs> I, I had no idea. I'd never heard of fermented <laughs> oh, cod liver no. oil. I don't know how I, I've obviously been living under my rock and just completely missed it. But it seems, from the research I've done since then, that particularly in the Western A. Price community, yep. uh, but also in the Paleo community, this fermented cod liver oil is a thing, and that it's yeah. a that it's quite popular and lots of people are doing it and swearing by it yep. um, and other people are starting to question it and say, hey, this doesn't seem quite right. And I must admit, my first thought when someone said fermented cod liver oil was, that sounds gross. And <laughs> my second thought was, that just doesn't quite sound right. I don't quite get why I would want
0: to do that. So tell us about fermented cod liver oil, Damo. Yeah, look, mate, I think it's a bit NQR. That's my personal opinion. Um, I, uh, cod liver oil in its nature – should be mainly oil like it it should be mainly oil if there's something that's left as an excipient that's attached or in in the same environment as the oil the emulsion formula whatever it actually is the material that allows that that oil to go down your, into your tummy easily if there's something in that um that can be fermented then that would be a protein or a carbohydrate But the fact that an oil or something from a fish would ferment would imply that it's gone rancid. It's just that you're using a different word. So fermentation and rancidity is essentially the same thing. It's just whether or not it tastes good. Um, I I just, for me, I I can't see how that would be of any greater benefit than just having normal, um, normal cod liver oil. But there is an inherent risk with taking cod liver oil, and that is that the vitamin A in cod liver oil displaces much of the vitamin D. Now, it still will be in there, but because the vitamin D is the active form of vitamin D that existed in the fish in the first place, that means that there will be a toxic load or a toxic amount, a toxic level that will um, come into play with humans. So when we take vitamin D3, for example, in a supplement form, that's a non-activated vitamin D and our body has to activate that for that to be utilized and our body will only activate as much as what it should. If we take the activated formula, which is vitamin D2, um, which would be present in cod lip oil, then we run the risk of of taking too much vitamin D and that could in fact then be a bit of a problem. So I suppose there's two messages in there. I don't think uh, fermenting, cod liver oil makes sense. Um, I think it, it sounds to me that it's they've supplemented a word instead of calling it rancid cod liver oil, they've called it fermented <laughs> cod liver oil.
1: I don't reckon that'd be a great seller.
0: <laughs> I don't think it's going to go oil. well. I, I know that you know there's a lot of people out there buying some crazy stuff, but I just I just don't think that'd go well. And if and a lot of people say, well, it's in the capsule form, so you don't have to drink it, you don't smell it. That that's a great way to disguise poor quality oil, and we know that throughout the fish oil supplement industry, where you get the you know ten thousand supplements for well, ten thousand tablets for nine dollars ninety nine from the local... Pharmacy, That's
1: and I will tell you what, Damo. It, if it's anything like regular fish oil, you know you may not taste it or smell it on the way down. Yeah, but, but you and your partner may well taste it and smell
0: it on the way back up. Right? <laughs> it's gross, right? It's so, so bad that whole burping. You're only going to burp poor quality stuff. So if you're burping the cod liver oil, it's not. It's because it's shit. Oh, excuse me. It's because <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> Sorry for the kids listening there. I just get a little bit frustrated with um, marketing hype.
1: So and what's uh, our answer, Damo? So are we saying? Not fermented cod liver oil, by the sound of it, right? We're saying maybe not even cod liver oil. Are we saying you can do take a bit some of cod liver fish, oil, like some fish oil, or eat some fish, yeah. and have some probiotics separate to that, or yep. some fermented food separate to that as well? Is that what yeah. we're saying?
0: Yeah, and it's all part of you know. It's you know how Lawrence likes to talk about life hacks. And I wish he was yeah. here to defend it. I hate life hacks. I know. Um, I, I hate I it. I wrote a whole article about how I hate hacks. Oh, really? My I did a podcast on it with Marcus. We spoke about it. <laughs> you just, got to check it out. Yeah. So there's a podcast called 100 Not Out. Read my article. How's that sound? Yeah, go, I'll do that. Yeah. All right. All, right. All right. Well, I'll write a review and you write reviews. But what's interesting about it is that when you try to hack something, you're shortcutting. And we got ourselves into problems because we shortcut it already. Like, I know that some people say, oh, no, it's just finding a more efficient way. Well, that more efficient way is to go and buy Michelle Bridges freaking frozen meals from you know, so you're not a freak. So it's it's that's a shortcut and that's a life hack. So it's not actually um, experiencing something properly. And at the end of the day, your body spent millions and
1: millions of years trying to find a more efficient way, and it has found the most efficient way possible. And it is your body. What your body does. Sit down and and eat a meal. And so that is the efficient way. It's actually evolved to be as efficient as possible without sacrificing um, you know, your health and your life. Yeah.
0: And so trying to do better than that,
1: I reckon it's a bit arrogant.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, God and body, you got it wrong. I'm going to do it better. You <laughs> yes, know? I, I know better. Does it does make sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. But look, my, my take on it is that you should be doing things uh, in its most natural state. In other words, it's real food first. Um and then you bring into the into your system, into your nutritional regime, you bring in foods or um nutrients that should have existed in the food in the first place. Um so that would be bacteria, so the fermented foods, and you can bring in larger strains of bacteria, larger larger quantities in, in you know, in billions of doses. Um but where things wouldn't normally ferment and keep and stay well, so for example, aged meat is great, but aged fish probably isn't. Um I would I would say that. It doesn't make sense to me to have fermented fish oil, um, you know, over, over having, say, fermented fruits and vegetables. It's, it's just my take on it at the moment. Yeah, I feel a bit the same, Damo. Mm. Good work, mate. Ah, oh, bredo, there you go. So that's the end of another another podcast. Done. We're going well, on fire. Do we need the third wellness guy? <laughs> yeah, we're starting to wonder, aren't we? <laughs> no, they'd hate us if we oh, got into would wouldn't LT. they? Miss LT. He's, have, he's off having a holiday, well-deserved holiday. He's been working very, very hard. But hopefully he'll be back with our next podcast, Brett me too. Now, everybody, make sure you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Guys, and tell us what you thought of this episode. Argue with us if you like. Tell us what you think about fermented fish oil and cod liver oil and all that sort of stuff. Tell us. Share this podcast with your friends and family and other strangers that you think may need a wellness update. Subscribe to us on iTunes, and while you're there, leave us a five-star rating. Brett loves them, and leave us your comments. Until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives, lead by example, and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Guys Show.